live from the Livingston campus of Rutgers University. This is RLC WVPH in Piscataway. 90.3 The Core. Independent community radio from Piscataway High School and Rutgers University. Learn more at thecore.fm. Many voices. One station. This is 90.3 The Core. Hello and welcome to Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core, the Livingston Campus radio station here at Rutgers. The environmental activist and writer Bill McKibben once said, quote, global warming is no longer a philosophical threat no longer a future threat, no longer a threat at all. It is our reality. This shift in framing from threat to reality has sparked a new era of the global, justice, global climate justice movement, one that is making important connections to other movements for social justice. It's a movement that is rising up to the urgency of the crisis, and it's recognizing how social and economic inequalities are throwing the most marginalized people on the front lines, oftentimes communities that are blacker, browner, and poorer. McKibben is the founder of 350.org, which has been leading the, fossil, the fight for fossil fuel divestment around the world, and includes a chapter right here in New Jersey, which our guest today is on the steering committee on. Tina Weishaus has been active on social justice issues since she was in high school since she was a high school student in New York City in the 1960s. She's worked to stop the Vietnam War and to build the, fem- the women's movement in the 1970s. She graduated from Livingston College, Rutgers University, with a labor studies degree, and went on to become a mental health nurse with special emphasis on the impact of culture on psychological life. In 2002, she co-founded the Central Jersey Coalition Against Endless War in Iraq, which is still active in this area as the Central Jersey Coalition Against Endless War. In 2006, after seeing the movie An Inconvenient Truth, she participated in Vice President Al Gore's training program and became a climate change educator. She's then, since then, she has worked as the chair of, of Sustainable Highland Park and is on the steering committee of 350NJ. She is currently the spokesperson of Divest NJ, campaigning for our state pension plans to divest from fossil fuels. Tina is proud to be part of the upcoming global climate strike and the newly formed Central Jersey Climate Coalition, which I am also part of. She and Highland Park High School students were organizing the Highland Park rally on September 20th, which will meet the New Brunswick and Rutgers marchers at Congressman Pallone's office on Church Street in New Brunswick, demanding that he hold hearings as the energy as a chair of the Energy and Commerce Committee on the Green New Deal. She knows that youth activists are our future, and she is thrilled to be working together to make a livable world. Tina, welcome. Thank you. So, Tina, how did you get involved in climate activism? What kind of brought you to this to this work? So, I had been an activist um, on just about every other social issue. Is that better? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for most of my adolescent and adult life. And I saw the movie in 2006, An Inconvenient Truth, which was uh, Al Gore's movie, which won a um, an Academy Award. And I was just startled by the fact that I was so ignorant about environmental issues and climate issues. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is like if we don't address this, nothing else really matters. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, at that point, I realized that it really was an existential threat and which is now being more and more acknowledged that it is. And so, uh, through my activism with MoveOn.org back in those days, I, um, I got a spot in the very first training uh, class that Al Gore put together. After that movie, he made a promise to train a thousand climate educators. Wow. And I was in the beta group, <laughs> the first 50, um, as a result of my son working with Move On. And so I um, went 
And I was really impressed with the amount of information and understanding of our of our world from this very different point of view from that I ha- I wasn't used to it was it had a real vision for how to live sustainably and it wasn't just criticizing all the horrible things and injustices that go on which are which is totally important but this had a not only was it critical to stop the um, destruction that was going on through fossil fuels, but it had a vision for how to live differently. So I was really impressed. I got trained. I did in that first year, 2006-07, I must have done 150 or even more presentations because it was free. I could get invited anywhere. And um, in that first year, it was pretty productive. It At a certain point, it got very partisan, and even, even that early. And Al Gore was very criticized, and you couldn't mention his name, and you could see what was happening through the fossil fuel industry, this disinformation campaign. So I, and, and it got harder and harder to do the presentations because people weren't paying as much attention as I felt like they needed to. And I had to immerse myself in all this material that was so scary. And um, so I, um, I, uh, you know, said to myself, maybe we don't need education as much as we need action. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I thought mass action is really the answer at this point. And because back in 2006, they told us we had a 10 year window. (laughs) Now we're still looking at a a 10 year window, but we're we're in a much worse position. Mm-hmm. So that's a very long answer, <laughs> but I really shifted some of my priorities from other issues to do the climate stuff. And and speaking of those other issues, how does the climate justice movement compare to other movements that you have been a part of, anti-war coalitions and, and feminist movements? Do you see similarities and differences between them? That's a great question. Um you know, I I feel like the climate movement is just beginning to pick up steam. What we have now are young people saying to adults, um, you are not doing what you need to be doing, so we need to do it for you. And whether that be Greta Thunberg or the Extinction Rebellion or the Sunrise Movement, um, we have an activism in the last, I'd say, year or two that we didn't have before. So, I, you know, and I was always very frustrated that when you put together a set of a coalition of issues and, you know, how we, we talk about the intersectionality of issues, climate was often left out. Now it is now, at the, it's kind of at the center mm-hmm. and, and climate justice and environmental justice have, um, they have more meaning to people and people in vulnerable communities are, you know, more being consulted as leaders and spokespeople. So I think the climate movement is so how does that compare i mean my gosh the <laughs> vietnam move the anti-war movement and the women's movement had many problems also uh, you know, but they the war stopped, so that was not that people. There are new wars, right? Iraq and Afghanistan, and um, but and the women's movement. That was the second wave of the women's movement. We have a third and fourth wave, and the the idea that um, the intersectional of issues is much more it's much more understood these days and that was really a white women's movement mm-hmm. now we have um, something different yeah and I think the climate movement has struggled with being a very white space as well very white space so in that sense yeah. it's very much like uh, the women's movement mm-hmm. With, but I think I was on a call with 350.org, the national organization, and they are trying to address it. I don't know that they'll be successful. It is a very white organization. 
But I think it ha- I've seen like tangible shifts in terms of who's at the forefront, who's leading it. And I think as someone, you know, I come from Amnesty International, which is a human rights organization. And I think for us, it became increasingly difficult to ignore the role that climate was right. playing in amplifying and even facilitating human rights abuses. Right. So it's it's all issues. And I think, you know, I, I ask why, how does this movement compare? But there isn't really a comparison because no movement has really come up against such an existential threat before, right, too, right. which is another another big right. consideration. So you look at what happened in the Bahamas mm-hmm. and, you know, total, for those two islands, total devastation. They didn't make any contribution probably to uh, global warming, probably zero. Yeah. Their tourism industry probably didn't didn't do that. Maybe airplane flights mm-hmm. to the Bahamas. But um, yeah, the devastation, you, you look at it and you see that, you know, like it or not, they are on the front lines. And those con- island countries, countries in Africa, who which have not made any significant contribution to carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I think as people see that, they may actually understand better what why it's so important to have these people um, be spokespeople for climate change. So we'll see. I mean, you still watch, t- you know, if you watch the regular mainstream news, which I do, um, it's, it's only in the most liberal um, programs, cable stations, whatever, where they're even talking about climate change and these, this hurricane, you know, and we're... We're we're just so backward. It's very distressing, <laughs> going backward and backward. <laughs> but there, but um, a lot of work that you've been doing is directly addressing some of the systemic issues when it comes to climate change. And for our listeners who may not be aware of what divestment is as a tool, how would you describe divestment and why it's important? So it's a tactic. Maybe people have heard of BDS in mm-hmm. terms of Israel. It's boycott, divestment, and sanctions. It's an economic and cultural tactic that um, seeks to put pressure on companies that uh, or countries, uh, if you think of South Africa and now, you know, it's very controversial in terms of Israel, but that are doing things, bad things in the world, which people want to stop. And uh, in terms, so in terms of fossil fuel divestment, where the targets are the fossil fuel companies. And um, when it started, I think Bill McKibben, I went to the original meeting in New York City where they announced it with Naomi Klein and and, uh, Bill McKibben. And maybe it was eight years ago, seven, eight years ago. And they didn't really, they thought it was symbolic. It was going to be very symbolic. But symbolic is good. They wanted to to point the finger and to say, look what you are doing to our world and to stigmatize these companies so that maybe people wouldn't continue to invest. But what happened is that the fossil fuel divestment movement really picked up steam Mm -hmm. in a way that people weren't, they were surprised about. And therefore, it is having actually an economic impact on the companies in Shell's, you know, I don't know, their, their statement. They said no divestment is hurting us, which is good yeah. <laughs> because they are killing us. So we might as well hurt them. And uh, yeah. you know, and um, you know they had the opportunities. I, I kind of shake my head and think they could have been. They could have transitioned to renewables and monopolized renewables. But this. Uh, it's it's some weird mindset where you know it's it's extractive industry of of uh, of and profit being the main driver, and they didn't. And so now, hopefully, I mean, uh, Exxon Mobil just fell out of the top ten of the S and P of the S and P five hundred. It is the first time in I don't know forty years that the top ten in the S&P 500, um, does not have an energy company. And it was uh, ExxonMobil was the last energy company. You know, it was, it's the biggest and most profitable. And it's fallen out, which tells you that, you know, they're in trouble, and they know they're in trouble. And it's really a good moment to do divestment because, 
you can argue the climate argument, but usually um, big institutional funds don't respond to that. But if you argue the fiduciary and financial argument, which is you're not making money from these companies and the outlook is terrible mm-hmm. given electric cars and renewables that where their prices come down so far that um, they are listening in a different way. Well, our campaign is about a year old now for the state pension plan mm-hmm. and it's a divest New Jersey coalition. You know, we'll see. I've, we've gotten respect, and and but they're not divesting. So they would like to invest in green energy, um, but their money managers are telling them, "Hang on to these uh, oil and gas, like something magical is going to happen, and they're <laughs> going to start making money all of a sudden." I don't know. Yeah, and how did the Divest NJ Coalition form and get Come started? About? Yeah. So I had always thought about divestment. In fact, I was involved with the students um, and some faculty at Rutgers, which started a divestment, I'd say, if that went, maybe six years ago. Yeah, 2015. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was his name? Shane Patel. Shane Patel, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. And he was, you know, he was a good organizer and working with certain faculty. Uh, and um, I was very you know, into the fact that Rutgers, I'm a, an alumna, but um, that it is funded by New Jersey resident tax, tax dollars. So you don't have to have gone to Rutgers. You don't have to be faculty or a student. You should care about what they're doing with your tax dollars. And their tax dollars are, they're very wedded at, at this university to their investments and their portfolio. So that, so that went on and then it, you know, it it didn't, and um, I was thinking that when Naomi Klein came to the uh, you know the campus, maybe it would get more energy. Um, I see that there is energy again around divestment, um, so I always had it as a tactic. Um, in my mind, when New York City divested or announced a divestment plan uh, in January of 2018, and we had just elected Phil Murphy, who ran as a kind of environmentalist, I thought, ah, oh, this should be easy. <laughs> Nothing's easy. But especially in New Jersey, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, especially in New Jersey with crazy intra-party horrible mm-hmm. fights. But um, yes, I thought, well, now's the moment because we have the momentum from New York City and they were actually going out and around the country trying to get other uh, cities and states to do what they were doing. And uh, so I I started kind of doing some stuff within the labor movement, making contacts. And, um, and then I met up with people in 350 NJ who, uh, who were trying from the legislative point of view, they put together some bills. Um, those bills are not, they haven't gone anywhere. And legislatively, unfortunately, the oil and gas lobby in New Jersey is so strong that legislatively it probably wouldn't go that far. But we were told to go through the State Investment Council, which oversees, it's like the advisory panel for the five to seven state um, pensions. There, Some of them are not functioning, but the big ones are the teachers and the state workers. Mm-hmm. And um, New Jersey has the most underfunded pension in the country. It alternates between 49th and 50th, which means that they should be more motivated to get out of an investment like fossil fuels, which is in decline. So in 2018, the energy sector, which is fossil fuel, um, was the lowest performing sector in the Standard & Poor's. 500, and it was reflected in their portfolio in which that sector has been doing poorly. And if they had invested in any other, any other investment, and we're not talking about renewables to them, we're talking about, you know, technology, healthcare. They would have made a lot more money. And the future looks so bleak for um, fossil fuels that. 
uh, you know, they're trying to squeeze the last bit of profit out in the, you know, in the um, global world. But um, I don't know. I think that, you know, we have a strong argument and we're going to keep campaigning. And I think that we're going to get them to divest. So, but it's a long, it's it's a real commitment. Mm -hmm. At Rutgers, it would be a real commitment. Anywhere nothing happens. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I think we'll get rid of all our fossil fuel investments. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, we're going to take a short break, but then come back and talk about some of the specific challenges that both of us are kind of facing in, in our respective campaigns. But um, this has been Core of the Matter. We're talking with Tina Weishaus of 350NJ and DivestNJ. This is um, the public affairs forum for 90.3, the court. How am I doing? Oh my god, it's so cold. I can't believe people think global warming is a thing. <laughs> Liberal media. Are you talking about climate change? Global warming? Yeah. Global warming refers to the, like, the long-term trend of a rising average global temperature. Climate change is different. It refers to the changes in global climate, which result from increasing average global temperatures. It's like changes in precipitation patterns and increased droughts and heat waves and other extreme weather. Like blizzards? Exactly. Record snowstorms in the eastern U.S. this winter caused 47% of people to not recognize global warming as a leading factor of climate change. Blizzards and other severe weather are still a result of the increasing average global temperature. This message is brought to you by 90.3, The Core. Ugh, there's so much traffic. Relax, we'll get to work on time. None of this light doesn't change. We're all trying to get somewhere. But I need to get to work now. We'll be there soon enough. Yeah, well, I wouldn't be here right now if these cars weren't going, like, two and a half miles an hour. I think you need to calm down. I I'm, I'm just sick of this. I'm going to run the red light. No, stop! In 2011 alone, there were 293,595 car accidents in the state of New Jersey. Keep your cool when you drive, and you can avoid having an accident. This message is brought to you by 90.3 The Core. And welcome back to Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core. We're talking tonight with Tina Weishaus of 350NJ, Sustainable Highland Park, and Divest NJ. Um, we were talking before about um, some of the, the challenges that come with going up against such a large institution like the State Investment Council and also here at Rutgers. Um, what are some things that you've had to kind of overcome in, in your campaign? So we were lucky because we actually started with a, a significant ally on the council, and he gave us. Um, uh, he was actually, I shouldn't. I don't, I don't know if he wants to be identified, <laughs> but anyway, we we had entree, and we um, he he has encouraged us to come to their their public. Well, their meetings are public. They happen every two months. And we have, for the last year, we have given the arguments in public comment. And he's been generous with us in terms of giving us time and encouraging us. So we've, we've started to gain more allies. I mean, in a sense, the environmental the the uh, the threats of uh, that we're facing or as Bill McKibben says this is our new reality you know I think are probably getting people to say well you know you know this is really um, maybe something we should think about because the economic analysis is that uh, energy companies and investing to continue to invest in them don't just th threaten that sector because they're not doing well, but they're, it also threatens the whole economy. What you get is total disruption of the, I mean, just look at the different hurricanes that, or the, far, the um, fires, the wildfires, that it uh, disrupts supply chains and all of that. So we're, we always make the economic argument, the financial argument to them. And, and 
th- that's been the, the biggest challenge is that the money managers, so they're separate. There's a council, and then there's their staff. And I don't, I don't know what their commitment is to, to this, uh, you know, to the fossil fuel investment. They think that it will still be profitable in 2040. And I think to myself, and I said to them, do you even, can you even imagine what this world is going to look like in 2040? I mean. You, you know, catastrophic events are going to be just run of the mill every day, and the the impacts on the economy. So the biggest challenge has been in um, that's one in that the fact that that the money managers tend to favor the you know old blue chip investments. They're no longer blue chip, but they see them as blue chip. The other thing is that we're just starting to build a grassroots a, a grassroots movement. So we went in kind of from the top making the argument and it and there was more receptiveness to that argument. Now when they're not they're not planning to divest. We're bring, we have a picket line out there. We, you know, we have more and different uh, arguments made, and so it's building the kind of grassroots roots movement that made New York City successful, and that takes time. And you know, people have so many issues that they're committed to, even though you think this is. you know, at the center of everything. Divestment isn't seen as the most exciting issue. So, you know, I'm all for the Green New Deal. Let's fight for the Green New Deal. And divestment is just one uh, tactic in the quiver, whatever, Mm -hmm. one one, uh, arrow in the quiver. It would be good, and it's a statement, and uh, we would like to see them divest. But it's, it's hard to get people. Also, the meetings are during the day, so, I mean, there's just organizing issues, and so we're working at it, and we're little by little, we're building up. Mm-hmm. In fact, this uh, next meeting is September 25th, Wednesday. It's three weeks from today, and we're trying to get a bigger showing just because it is falling within the global climate strike week of mm-hmm. activities, and it would be great see more people there and to be quoting Greta Thunberg and, you know, say, look, this is, uh, we're serious about this and you you need to start being serious about it too. Mm-hmm. And that means going to be at the State House in Trenton? It's at the War Memorial and okay. they meet in the War Memorial. And yes, if people are interested in coming and we can carpool people down and you could stay for the half an hour of the picket and then not go to the meeting because the public comment is at the end of the meeting. So you have to be there till noon. Mm -hmm. But if you people who are listening today would just like to come and show their outrage of the, you know, support of these investments, keeping the sector alive, um, then uh, we could get you carpooled back and forward and, you know, it would be exciting to have some people that don't normally show up. And young people, students, you could maybe skip one class and be back and forth. And uh, so, yes, you you will give them my uh, email address or even my phone number if people want to come. Or maybe you, James, can do a little organizing to get people down. Yeah, definitely. You could probably go to the Sustainable Highland Park Facebook page or their website. It's actually the divestment. So Sustainable Highland Park is the green team of Highland Park. And we are under the borough's okay. uh, auspices, so we don't organize on that. I That's separate. 350 is separate. The climate strike is separate because then you'd have to get the borough to get on board with yeah. everything. And it's Highland Park is good on environmental issues, but it, they're not going to be fighting mm-hmm. for divestment. Okay. So if anybody's interested in going to the meeting, you can go to the Central Jersey page, talk yes. to the – you can email yes. public affairs. Yeah. Yes, and we're going to get tonight. Yeah. yeah, we'll get there. Yes. <laughs> um, and then, have you noticed any shifts in terms of fossil fuel divestment and the movement itself? Is it gotten easier? Do you think that yeah. institutions are more receptive? Yes, to it? yes, yeah. definitely. I think that McKibben, Bill McKibben, will tell you the same thing. That at first they they thought, okay, you know, we can. It started with, I think, Union College, which is a a tiny little uh, college 
departments in the Northeast, and they were the first to divest. But now you have Ireland completely divested, the World Council of Churches, even the World Bank, I think, that it is picking up steam. And this past something season, they passed a thousand institutions that were committed to divesting. Now, you have to understand that divestment takes a long time. Mm -hmm. Ireland has actually completed that process, but Norway, which has the largest sovereign wealth fund and which made all, you know, paid all its bills on its own oil, um, has divested, has begun to divest as well because they it's just a financial decision. These companies are not being profitable enough and we can't pay our, we can't make our budget if we keep investing in bad investments. So yes, it has picked up enormous uh, you know, momentum and I think it is definitely easier to get mm-hmm. people to, to, to start thinking about that. Yeah, I've definitely noticed uh, a similar trend. Um, I'm part of Amnesty, and Amnesty as an organization divested from fossil fuels recently. They're a global human rights organization. Surprising that they were invested in fossil fuels, um, but great that they did divest. And there's active fights going on right now here at Rutgers and also at Harvard, which is one of the largest um, endowments in the country. Um, And they're also fighting um, around prison divestment and other issues that are connected. Um, Do you think there's value in that in connecting other struggles around divestment or? Um, I think that, you know, it's complicated. You don't want to, I think that everything is connected. So we can start from that. But sometimes when you work you don't want to broaden it out so much that the people you're making that demand of just throw their hands up. But recently, the governor and Sweeney, state Senate president uh, Sweeney, Steve Sweeney, came out for gun um, divestment. And I wrote an op-ed saying, well, if you think guns kill a lot of people, just take a look at what fossil fuels have already done in terms of the various uh, events, uh, climate events that have occurred. So, you know, yes, I was definitely supportive, divest of guns. They've they've had a few divestments, but the uh, private prisons is Mm -hmm. another one. Um, But their investments are pretty small in those. So they they could the governor has continued to support gun divestment, you know, and it, but it's not asking the port the um, pension plans to uh, much. We are asking much more. We are saying because the investment is significant. Wow. Yeah. Um, we're going to come back after a short break with um, Tina again talking about sustainable Highland Park and some major initiatives that are going on locally here in the area. But this has been Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core. You're listening to 90.3 The Core in the heart of New Jersey at the center of new music. And this is The Core Community Calendar. Saturday, September 14th, the Central Jersey Jazz Festival stopping at New Brunswick from 1 to 6 p.m. featuring a stacked lineup of diverse jazz artists. The festival will also be held in Flemington and Somerville on Friday and Sunday, respectively. Sunday, September 22nd, Hub City Sounds presents the 39th Raritan River Festival featuring live music and vendors and the annual Rubber Duck Race in the Raritan River. Starting Tuesday, September 3rd, the League of Women Voters of the Greater New Brunswick area is celebrating National Voter Registration Day with an online trivia quiz. Running through September 24th to raise voter awareness, the quiz will offer $300 to one winning contestant. The League reminds you to register before October 15th in order to vote in November. You can like us on Facebook at 90.3 The Core to stay updated on events. Independent radio for independent minds, only on The Core. Thank you for listening to 90.3 The Core. And now, the core concert calendar. Friday, September 13th, Streetlight Manifesto is playing Philadelphia's Franklin Music Hall starting at 7.30 p.m. Also Friday the 13th, Don Broco is coming to the Gramercy Theater with Sleep On It and Selfish Things. Show starts at 6.30 p.m. Tuesday, September 17th, Angels and Airwaves are performing at New York City's PlayStation Theater starting at 7.30 p.m. Thursday, September 19th, the Aquabats are coming to the Stone Pony for the 25th anniversary tour. Show opens at 7 p.m. Don't forget to check out our website at thecore.fm. And now stay tuned 
More great core radio is on the way. Oh, I'm so stressed out. What's wrong? Stressed about exams? Are you kidding me? I'm pulling my hair out over these three exams I have to take this week. You should take a break and do something else for a while. Toss a frisbee, get fresh air, watch Netflix, even take a nap. Come eat ice cream. You're right. Maybe a break is just what I need. Feeling stressed? You're not alone. In fact, 80% of college students report being stressed on a daily basis. Dealing with a hectic schedule, work, and personal issues can really take a toll. If you feel like you're really stressed and need to talk to someone about it, you can talk to a counselor about it at CAPS, located on Senior Street on College Ave and Nickel Avenue on Cook Douglas Campus. Believe in yourself. This message has been brought to you by 90.3 The Core. And welcome back to Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core. We're here with Tina Weishaus on the steering committee of 350NJ, a coalition member of DivestNJ, and also on the leadership um, committee of Sustainable Highland Park. Um, so what is Sustainable Highland Park, and how did this uh, group get started? So um, it probably got started uh, like... Um, maybe 2005, or there were a lot of people who were interested in Highland Park uh, on environmental issues. And a, a mayor, Merrill Frank, who was a, ran on a progressive platform, uh, wanted to make Highland Park a model of a green town. So it went through various in, in iterations, and um, uh, there, it was the green team, it was the working green, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it became um, the the green team, essentially, we, which we call Sustainable Highland Park. In order, we are certified by an organization called Sustainable Jersey, and that 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 started as the Institute of Sustainability. It started at Rutgers. It's now at. Um, TCNJ. Yeah, TCNJ. And they have certified hundreds of towns around the state and also school districts. And in doing so, in order to get certified, you have to um, you have to actually do real actions. And it has gotten increasingly harder. The bar has been raised, which is great, so that it's not just symbolic, oh, you're doing good work, but you're really working on whether it's energy efficiency or water in your town or... Um, uh, you know, buying electric cars for your your municipal fleet or for your school fleet, whatever. There are real objectives, and um, we Sustainable Highland Park is the lead uh, commission on that for the town. We work with other we we certainly work with other boards and commissions, and um, but we. Yeah, we we take the lead on certain initiatives. Mm -hmm. And then, what are some of the the major wins and victories that? that okay, so the the last thing that so about two years ago, we applied for a grant through Sustainable Jersey, and we got a ten thousand dollar grant, which we had gotten before. We put in school gardens. We there were uh, lots of other things that have gone on, but most recently was a ten thousand dollar grant in two thousand and seventeen for um, uh, reducing plastic single use plastic bag usage in town, and. We had a year to do outreach and education on voluntary reduction. And at the end of that year, we were to research ordinances and make a decision whether we thought that voluntary reduction was enough. And it wasn't. We did reduce, we did do a lot of education in town. But I, there was certain irony to what happened because we started, when we started doing the education, plastic, single use plastic wasn't the issue that it is today. And sometime during that year, it just became 
uh, it, the issue blew up and everybody was saying, oh my God, we're drowning in plastic. And um, they began to either quickly or, you know, or depending on whether it was countries in the EU or towns along the New Jersey shore, really consider banning plastic, plastic bags. It was mostly a, a bag issue um, because even though plastic bags are not the, uh, you know, a significant part of the plastic, I, I do. You, I'm going to ask you, what do you think the where does most of the plastic trash in the ocean come from? I, I wouldn't even I would <laughs> I would guess maybe like water bottle like the um, the six pack like water yeah, bottle plastic. No way, <laughs> it's from commercial fishing. Wow, the nets are mm-hmm. all plastic and all of their equipment. And when the trawlers just move through areas of fishing, they just leave it there, mm-hmm. and it breaks down. What they re- what they discovered in the last few years is that the plastic degrades by the heat, the sun, and it breaks down into what we call microbeads of plastic and it is so some of the large pieces of plastic like the you know whatever water bottles or mm-hmm. uh, or things that connect uh, six packs I, I don't yeah. know what you call them yeah um, are eaten or ingested by large sea animals uh the real that's horrible and we see that and we see whales you know dying and having they open them up and they're just filled with plastic they're not eating any nutritional stuff Mm -hmm. there's in some places in the ocean there's more plastic than there is algae it's just an unbelievable crisis but what's happening is that the microbeads don't kill the the fish and so the fish eat it and then it's it's in our food chain and so in the human gut um, there's plastic microbeads and it's rain raining down from the in the air and we are literally drowning in plastic and then additionally what you have is because the oil companies are really being hurt by the electrification of transportation I personally own a bolt which is a completely it's a, uh, made by Chevy it's a completely electric car but we know that's the future mm-hmm. of the auto industry and um, and we were just reading uh, today about electric school buses and that's now taking off because School buses, um, they only they only are in use for a few hours. Then they sit in a lot where they can recharge, and it's a great it's it's a it's a really good thing. But the oil industry is deciding, well, we're really losing out on home heating oil and cars. Well, we're going to invest in plastic now, like we don't have enough plastic. They're just sometimes these decisions are incredible. But th- the world, the the plastic kind of issue caught on in the year that we were doing the education. And we did realize that although people would, you know, there was a decrease in the amount of plastic bags used at our major stores. Um, The only thing that really stops people from using it is... um, being outlawed (laughs) and putting a fee. So we we did what we called the best practice ordinance. It had been around. It's called bring your own bag ordinance, which means that if you're going to get a plastic bag or you're going to get a paper bag, you're going to pay for it. And um, our ordinance was two stages. So we're, we're ending in two months. We will go to a ban on plastic. Now there's been a 10 cent fee on plastic. But in November, there'll be a ban on all plastic bags in town. And then the 10 cent fee will go to the paper bags. And people get really upset. Why do I have to pay for paper? Because paper is horrible for the environment. You know, it's in, it's it, it uses so much water, so much chemicals, so much waste from the pulp. And then to transport paper bags is very, very um uh, energy uh, intense because they're so heavy. So if you take them from the West Coast to the East Coast, you're using so much fuel mm. to transport them. So um, we have, you know, we have essentially in, in two more months, we'll have a um, ban on plastic. 
end a fee on paper, and that's con- and it's just really heartening. You know, it's not going to solve our problems, but it does. I go into the supermarket now, and we see that people are just bringing their own bags, and they were complaining at first, and then it just changes over after complaining for a week or two. They stop complaining, yeah. <laughs> and they bring their reusable bags, which they always had in their car or their closet, but they just didn't, you know, when they realized they didn't have them at the checkout, they didn't run back to their car to get them. They said, oh, next time I'll remember. But they didn't. But the thing that gets people to remember is that you charge for their bags. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they and then they just, it's, it's just kind of mind-boggling <laughs> to see how easy it is. <laughs> and so... Um, so we so we're we're very proud of this ordinance and we have been trying to spread the the word and go to other uh, towns you know within Middlesex County and beyond and say this is an ordinance that you can replicate and th- there is there are bills in the Senate um, and the and the assembly the state there's a state bill um, it's been sitting for more than a year. It had a lot of support, and it got out of committee very quickly. And then it's been sitting, and I don't, I don't know whether they're really serious about passing it. But as I said to the uh, it, the um, the environmental commission person in Monroe, who I'm going to go down and show them how we did it, that the more towns that do it, there's more pressure on the state to uniformly do it mm-hmm. because the complaint is, oh, I go to Highland Park. And I have to pay, but I go to a short town and I don't have to pay. I just don't get plastic. It's all, there are many ways you can do it. And so it would be best. And we actually are very well aligned. The state did have um, a, a ban and a fee. It's called the ban and a fee. And, and, um, that I think is the best practice because you really want people to understand that paper is really bad, as I've mm-hmm. enumerated the reasons why, and um, it's just different than our plastic crisis. So, you know, ultimately you should be banning paper too as a single-use product, but it is more compostable. You, you know, it it, it it's not that, and it's recyclable too. They use paper to make new paper, mm-hmm. so. So anyway, so we're proud of that. We're also working on government energy aggregation, which is now a new thing where the municipalities um, are in control of the energy they buy. And um, they you can, as a town, decide the two dimensions of whether you're just trying to reduce the price because you have a large group of people that you're buying it for. But for in Highland Park, we would also be looking towards 100% renewable energy for the town. New Brunswick is moving ahead with it. They already have a contract. Um, and that was as a result, I believe, of the Food and Water Watch petition drive that they did that forced their council to, you know, decide whether they were going to move ahead. And to their credit, they did move, and they moved quickly. Um, So that's a new thing. And then um, community solar projects are another thing that we're looking to do. And um, that also is, you know, kind of distributed energy resources. So we're, you know, there's just so much happening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I work with Food and Water Watch on um, in the Empower New Jersey coalition and um, trying to get Governor Murphy to declare a moratorium on, on new fossil fuel projects. There's about 13 or 15 of them. And although he, you know, presented himself as a environmental leader, it, it just doesn't seem that way at this point. And he has not been, we've been at this for a good part of the year. And so many projects are moving ahead, even without permits. They they they're move, they start digging and constructing. They don't even wait for the permits. Um, so, so there's a lot of good stuff, and people are working hard. It's just that more people have to join the fight, and you know. Uh, but again, there's so many issues you don't know which way to turn, right? <laughs> yeah, and it yeah. seems like where the fight is happening is in local communities like yeah. Highland Park and New Brunswick. 
when you have people in leadership like Phil Murphy who don't seem like they're interested in doing that much. It's the fight yeah. is happening yes. in local communities. Right. So you have a federal government that is, you know, unbelievably uh, reactionary and dangerous and um, scary. I can go down the list. Yeah. Some <laughs> you know, adjectives. Like, yeah. Um, and uh, then, you know, we were hopeful about Murphy's uh, governorship and less hopeful now that he will really make the difference. Um uh, in, in fact, there were hearings at Cook College today on the new solar policy and what the BPU, which is the Board of Public Utilities, was presenting was like a real decrease in the amount of um, incentive, financial incentive for the solar companies. And they were saying, we don't need to build in, we don't need to do uh, solar panels in New Jersey. We can go to New York or Pennsylvania and get a higher price. So I really hope that, again, I don't know whether I don't you just wonder why they are um, why they're taking bad positions so I'm hoping that that changes but anyway so yes you have a federal government which is unspeakably bad and then you have a state government which is not unspeakably bad but certainly could do be better and and yes you know and people like working at the local level they know the people on the commission they come to know them the, you know I live in a small town but if you live in a bigger town but you know it's something that you you can relate to and people and I welcome everybody who's listening whether you're a Highland Park resident or not um, you could come to our sustainable Highland Park meetings and and work there, or you could, we could help you work in New Brunswick and Edison, and we're you know we're in touch with people. So yes, um, that's why Sustainable Jersey, the coming out of the Institute of Sustainability, is so powerful because yes, people are working at the local level. It's not the total answer, but. It does get people. So people say, oh, plastic bags, you know, what's the big deal? But, you know, you once you get active on one thing, then you get tuned in. Okay, maybe plastic bags isn't the worst thing, but let's start working on something that maybe would have a bit bigger impact or... Um, once you activate people, I think, and they like that they can be successful at a local level, I think that they tend to hang in there and mm. do more and get more educated and, you know. And I think you're also speaking to, I think, some of probably like one of the most age old and frustrating challenges that members of the climate justice movement face is this duality of system change versus individual change. Right, right. And... How do you like? I, I'm, you're kind of yeah. alluding to how you navigate the two, yeah, yeah. but but is there value in both, and is one more important than the other? You know, I I know some pe people get very, uh, you know, passionate about their positions here. Don't do that because that wastes your time. You should be, you know, only corporate policy, only, you know, a carbon tax, or you know, people have their 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 answers that m make sense to them but i do think it's it's dialectical it's interactive it's it you get people active who wouldn't be active you get them active and again i mean getting rid of plastic bags is a great thing it's not the whole thing but it's a, it's a positive step and then they they start educating themselves more as i said a minute ago and i do think that they can i think it goes back and forth and i think that both things are good and i wouldn't criticize anybody for whatever they are doing i personally it's just my personality i wouldn't say that's the wrong thing to do no mm -hmm. i mean if you're doing something and it's and it and it makes sense, then keep doing it, and maybe you'll be exposed to other things that you'll want to do, but I do think it's a back-and-forth process. Yeah, and sometimes the most important thing is just starting a conversation with somebody and getting them into a movement. Yes, can, giving them something to do yeah. also, because, you know, in in some of the larger issues, well, climate being, climate is so big, and people's response is to look away, and now maybe they can't look away anymore because they, you know, their communities are, you know, 
you know, destroyed or whatever, or they see it on TV and they see. It, it, to me, I think that, uh, you know, even uh, President Trump's base is understands that climate change is not a hoax and that they have been very... Uh, hurt not just by the tariffs, which he's really hurting mm -hmm. the farmers, but the floods in the Midwest were devastating this year. And so many people, they know that that's climate change. And they, um, you know, people lost their their farms, these family farms. They just gave up. They couldn't, they couldn't do it. So even there, I actually think that Trump is very vulnerable as we come up to an election around the issue of climate change. Because as ignorant as he can be, I think the people on the ground know what's going on and what needs to be done. And you know, even as CNN is having a town hall tonight, all the ten, I think the ten of them, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, and and. I mean, the difference between 2016 and that president, Bernie Sanders did mention the climate. When asked what the biggest threat was, to his credit, he mm -hmm. did not say, you know, uh, terrorism. He said climate change. And that was great. But the fact that there was never a question asked in the debates, I mean, he, he inserted it, but he didn't, you know, they weren't asking, they didn't, weren't curious. The difference now is dramatic. Yeah, now you have at least half of the field. Uh, the Green New Deal is now a threshold issue for almost every candidate, which would have never happened. In I know, and we're going to yeah. make Congressman Polone <laughs> answer to that, yeah. right? Yeah, on on September twentieth when we marched to his office, right? Yes. So um, we are both part of the Central Jersey Climate Coalition, which is an alliance of students, faculty at Rutgers, community members, local high schoolers at Highland Park, um, who will all be coming out on September twentieth. At Rutgers, we're going to have a rally um, behind Scott Hall on Voorhees Mall at 2.30, followed by a march to Congressman Pallone's office on Church Street, where we'll be meeting Highland Park um, members and high schoolers um, coming across the bridge and marching to Pallone's office as well. Um, and yeah, we have two-tiered demands. Um, we have demands of Rutgers to divest from fossil fuels, um, commit to net zero emissions by 2030, establish an office of sustainability, and develop a climate action plan um, immediately. And then for Congressman Pallone, um, we're asking that he endorse a Green New Deal, hold fair hearings on a Green New Deal, and then also return all fossil fuel donations, um, and then impose a moratorium impose a moratorium on any future um, fossil fuel donations. Um, what are your, wh why did you join the coalition? What are your thoughts on the oh, coalition? Oh, I am so excited that yeah. there is something going on. So I joined 350NJ and I got on the steering committee because um, of the divestment issue. I had tried, but they're way, they're, uh, they're up north. Mm -hmm. In fact, the full name of is 350NJ-Rockland, which means that they include Rockland County and New York State. So it's northern New Jersey. It's an hour's drive for mm -hmm. me to go up wow. to, you know, to be at a meeting there. But um, I, I said to them, oh, we need a 350 in central Jersey. We need some activism. So I am over the moon <laughs> that there is a climate coalition and that the Rutgers students have been so proactive around this global climate strike and such good leadership. And I, you know, I, you know, hopefully it will continue to broaden out. I've tried to get people from Edison, from New Brunswick, um, New Labor, you know, various sectors that should be coming together. Immigrant justice is climate justice. Um, you know, I mean, in the most concrete way, we know that um, that people are coming up from Honduras, Guatemala, and El Salvador because they can't farm anymore. They can't feed themselves. So, as a result of uh, global warming, or you know, the increased temperatures, or the decreased rainfall, or whatever. So, um, I'm very happy to be part of a movement that is led by younger people. That that you know is is more activist, and I, I'm just really happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think speaking on behalf of um, the Rutgers students um, involved, I think we're so happy to have you and your leadership as well. I think it's been super helpful. So um, thank you so much. And then also we'd like to end kind of on this one last question of what your vision is for the future. <laughs> oh, 
well, people don't know, but I am. Well, maybe they figured it out when I said I was a high school student in the 60s, but <laughs> I am a grandparent. And the, the hardest thing when uh, in the 2016 election for me was knowing that if Trump won and I was very... Cons- you know, I, I didn't believe that Hillary was going to win. I kind of was what the climate consequences are. So a vision for the future, well, the way that we live, the, um, uh, you know, capitalist system as an extractive system, as a system that always has to get a higher rate of profit, regardless of the impact on human beings, on, on the earth, I, I would hope for a a better system, um, but I certainly hope for a livable world and a sustainable world, and they're interconnected. And um, I, you know, I mean, I, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be part of th- these activities, but um, I just, you know, I, I, I hope that um, other people, as they come come up, your generation and younger. Um, will uh, really get the whole picture and, uh, you know, there'll be changes. And those changes I can't even imagine, but I know they'll, if, if we win, if we do good, then it'll be for the better. And sweep those people out of office, sweep them into the <laughs> sea. Every time I think about Mar-a-Lago and, and Florida, I think, why doesn't it hit that? You know, it's just yeah. a silly thing, but, you know, <laughs> I just want it to be swept away. Yeah. And I think if anybody out there wants to be part of this groundswell of change that's happening, um, you can strike with us again September 20th at 2.30 p.m. at Rutgers, and then we'll be meeting at Congressman Pallone's office at 4 p.m. Um, on Church Street in New Brunswick. And also, if you want to get involved with 350's campaign, and especially if you're a student or a young person and want to come out um, to the State Investment Council meeting on Wednesday the 25th, you can email Tina at T. Weishaus, that's W-E-I-S. H-A-U-S at gmail.com or call her at 732-207-4206. Tina, thank you so much for coming on the program today. I really enjoyed it. It was a pleasure to have you um, and definitely come back whenever you want to come back. Um, This has been Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core.